Welcome to Tuesday's programme. How you doing? What sort of a bank holiday weekend did you have? Was it good? Was it hot? Was it was it filled with exciting things? Tell me. Tell me now. Or forever hold your peace. It's Scorchio in Salford. This afternoon, 25 degrees. It's glorious outside. But I'm glad to be with you today. I've got two brilliant guests lined up for you. So, without further ado then, let's get on with it. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. El Scorchio Tremendo, so it is. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Now, Tanya Edwards is one very, very funny woman. She's an award-winning stand-up comedian and writer. She's been on everything. Channel 4, BBC, Mock the Week, Après Ski, uh, Stand Up for the Week. She's done it all. Uh, Very funny, as I said. Uh, But she's also been writing a blog around COVID, buildingprisonisland.wordpress.com. And she's been tweeting about lockdown. Very funny, as I said. I've invited Tanya on the programme, and thankfully she agreed she'll be on with me this hour. Uh, Coming up in hour two, Sue Cook. Well, I I don't think Sue needs very much introduction either. Very, well, a hugely accomplished broadcaster, television, radio, and author as well. Household name is Sue. Uh, She's going to be talking to us about the media and how the media has behaved during the, the times of COVID. There you are. Ah, yes. Sweating like a donkey on Blackpool Beach today. So I am. But as I said, I'm happy to be here. And I look forward to reading your tweets as I go along. It's BBG Richie. Had a lovely weekend myself. Nice and chilled. Nothing too exciting. It was just good. June 1st today. And the appropriate weather too. Not seen much of it today. Mind being with you or been doing this, preparing this. So I have. Were you protesting over the weekend? Do let me know. I'd like to hear about that. I did see the many, 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 many pictures on social media. And to be fair, the Mail Online gave it good coverage. But outside of the Mail Online, well, as far as most of the rest of the British media is concerned, well, it never happened, did it? But it did happen. Hundreds of thousands of people again exercised their right to mingle, to come together and say, hell no, we've had enough of this. So let me know if you were out in London over the weekend. You may have been in Manchester. You may have been somewhere else. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, child mental health waiting lists are off the charts. You might know this. More than 2,000 young people have been waiting now for more than a year for vital, urgent appointments to meet with psychologists and psychiatrists. Dreadful stuff. This is making the news this afternoon. These are the lockdown consequences, of course, that ordinarily uh, the BBC and Sky, they just don't want to talk about them. But they are today, to be fair. You might have noticed this morning, if you live in the UK and you watch Breakfast TV, which I do for this programme, that Good Morning Britain was asking its viewers this morning if they should think about unfriending the unvaccinated. And by unfriending, we don't mean unfollowing people on social media. No, they meant basically sending people to Coventry. Ghosting people, like physically ghosting them, not having anything to do with them anymore. You know, the idea being you disown a mate of yours who has refused El Jabo Not So Tremendo. You didn't have a jab, no? Get the hell out of my house. That kind of thing. It's, it's mad. So it is. You had Nick Hewer, is that his name? 
one time Alan Sugar sidekick Nick Hewer one time countdown countdown host is he still doing that gig I'm not sure maybe he is maybe he isn't Nick Hewer was saying yes yes he would uninvite people to dinner parties oh God be with the days of dinner parties he would uninvite them if they had refused the jab all mad Blackburn's public health director a guy called Dominic Harrison this is really regional news now you might say what's this got to do with me Baldy I'll tell you what it's got to do with you because what happened over there is over here. It's happening everywhere. So Blackburn's Public Health Director Dominic Harrison told BBC Radio Lancashire this afternoon that the jabs should be given to 12-year-olds up to 18-year-olds as quick as bloody possible. Why? Well, to fight off rising cases of the Indian variant. But if you hang on a minute, you can't call it the Indian variant anymore. It's been renamed. Here's Sky News, Stephen Dixon. The variants are being renamed. Under a new WHO system, the Kent, or UK, variant is going to be called Alpha. You're following this now. Kent variant will be the Alpha variant. The South African variant, Beta. Beta. The Brazil variant, Gamma. And the India variant will be called Delta. Delta. The reason for this is because these... Because people are offended <laughs> in India. Didn't I see something on social media, meaning that, I don't know if it's true or not, but didn't I see something? Wasn't there an official complaint from someone in the Indian government about the Indian variant, saying that no such variant exists? Did I see that somewhere? Maybe I did. Maybe I dreamt it. It happens sometimes when you Bacardi the bejesus out of yourself. You've got very, you have very vivid dreams. But I think someone connected to the Indian government said, we don't believe there is such a variant as the Indian variant. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, it's uh, six minutes past five. Do you want to hear some madness? You know, the scientists were on the television and radio pretty much all day today saying that we shouldn't unlock on June the 21st. Just don't do it. It's just too damn dangerous. So it is. Dr. Lisa Spencer, it's the first I've heard of Lisa Spencer. She's a respiratory consultant at Liverpool Hospital. She was on the radio this morning, Radio 4. Nick Robinson, the presenter, said to her, Doctor, how are things looking now at the hospital? And this is what Dr Lisa Spencer said in reply. It's much, much better um, now. It, 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 it's, it's a relief. Um, the, the, the majority of the hospitals across the UK only have uh, very small numbers, probably five or less, uh, of COVID inpatients now. Imagine that the majority of hospitals across the UK have five or less inpatients with COVID now. Well, things are on the up and up then. Now, accepting there are a few hotspots, as we've been hearing. Hotspots now? Uh, on the news around the UK. These are uh, areas where the variant first identified in India are, are seem to be causing a majority of the infections spreading quickly. And these hospitals represent, or these areas of the country, uh, I think there's some in the northwest, the Midlands and in the south, they, they represent mini COVID volcanoes. Mini COVID volcanoes? That's the problem. And if we don't handle these... Vol volcanoes? These volcanoes yeah. carefully, we they, they could uh, explode and spend a, send a massive gas plume across much more of the UK. If we don't take care of the volcanoes, they'll explode and a massive gas plume will cover the UK with COVID. So obviously we're trying to control those uh, volcanoes, volcanoes. volcanoes and stop the overheating, surrounding them, if you like, with a ring of water, which consists of a protective ring of vaccination. Oh, 
COVID restrictions, face masks, social distancing, and then of course test and trace to plug any leaks of that water running out and letting the volcano over. The volcanoes. Just just listen to that again. It's a thing of beauty. They represent mini COVID volcanoes. That's the problem. And if we don't handle these volcanoes, these volcanoes carefully, we they, they could uh, <laughs> explode and spend a, send a massive gas plume across much more of the UK. So obviously we're trying to control those uh, volcanoes. volcanoes and stop them overheating, surrounding them, if you like, with a ring of water. Ring of water. Which consists of a protective ring of vaccination. Ah, the ring of water. Ah, I see the metaphor now. It's lovely. The water is the vaccines. Covid restrictions, face masks, social distancing, and then of course test and trace to plug any leaks of that water running out and letting the volcano overheat. Yeah. I know. I don't know how I manage it, to be honest. I did have one of those wobbly moments this morning listening to that. One of those where you nearly throw the television out the window, you know. Uh, I was listening to the radio on the television, yes, through the, through the box on the radio channels. Where do you leave that, you know? And, and Nick Robinson just sat there and listened to that. Astonishing. Astonishing stuff. I mean, that's diabolical. Like, I'm so glad we've got Sue Cook on the programme later on. I, I know a lot about Sue Cook. I, I think Sue would have gone through that doctor for a shortcut and said, hang on a second, what was that again? Um, more from Lisa. Dr. Lisa Spencer at University Hospital Liverpool, I think, or just Liverpool Hospital. And then there is a mild interjection from old Nick. But although we're coping now in the NHS, if you let these areas overheat, we can still end up in a serious problem in the NHS. Really? Overall, Dr Spencer, because some people listening might be really surprised by that. They think, look at the number of people who've had two jabs, look at the very high level of uh, efficiency or efficacy of those vaccines, even against the Indian variants, as far as we currently know. Surely the NHS should be able to cope with more cases. Let me, uh, sorry to give you some numbers here, and I hope I don't lose people with these numbers, and some of them will not be exact, they're rough. Now, she's going to give us some numbers, please bear with me. I've listened back to this bit of audio six or seven times today, no exaggeration, I was going to over-exaggerate and say I've listened back to it 50 times, I've listened back to it six times, and I haven't a Scooby-Doo what she says next, what it means. Matt Damon's character in Good Will Hunting, the movie who is a mathematical genius, couldn't understand what she says next. Please listen carefully. And if you can, provide me with some anal analysis of this and explain to me what she means. She's going to give him some numbers now as to why we should be worried. But I think yesterday, I think I saw that we'd vaccinated about 74% with the first jab, about 45 with the second jab. So we're still not there with the second jab. If you imagine that about, we think maybe the numbers will go up and down, but let's say, let's say for example, 15% of the people having the vaccination do not respond. Some people don't respond to the vaccine. And some of those will be patients who are on drugs, for example, to treat underlying medical conditions who have immunosuppression drugs on board and their bodies can't respond to the vaccine. So even if we vaccinated, if every eligible person took the vaccine, immediately 15% of the population wouldn't be protected, even though they tried to be. And on top of that... <laughs> Did you understand that? I just can't figure that out at all, but she said it anyway. Immediately 15% of the population wouldn't be protected, even though they tried to be. And on top of that, we don't know exactly what the number will be, and it, we've got very good vaccine uptake in the UK and a great programme, clearly. But let's say 10% of the population decide not to have the vaccine. So even if every eligible patient had the 
vaccine, you'd have 25% of the UK <laughs> population not covered. Let's say there's 50 million people who would be of an age, uh, an adult age, who might end up going to hospital. That would leave about 12 million people still unprotected, even if vaccination programme was complete as it could be. So we are vulnerable. Then, These are guesstimates, aren't they? I mean, in the end, because I think she usually suggested that the vaccine is rather more uh, effective than uh, leaving 15% unprotected. Robinson hasn't the foggiest idea as to what he's just heard. Somebody is now screaming in his earpiece to get rid of it. Well, you know, the data will, will, will show us more exactly going forward, but there's going to be a significant proportion of the population that, that won't be immune. Yeah. And then, so, so you know, if you then have uh, the virus, if the virus is released and not controlled in any way, uh, and even over a period of weeks or months, those people uh, become infected and then 20% of them present to hospital, that could push the NHS over again very, very easily. It's a very clear so warning. We're going to leave it there, I'm afraid, Dr Spencer, but that uh, you couldn't have been clearer about your concerns. Thank you for joining us. She couldn't have been clearer. Are you shitting me? I kind of understood it there for the seventh time. I think she began that answer. In her mind, she began the answer. She wanted to say that the vaccines are basically useless because they're not vaccines anyway. And they admit this. They admit that the vaccines don't provide protection against contracting coronavirus. And I think that's what she was getting at, that the vaccines are not going to protect anybody against anything, really. But then she probably realised that she couldn't really say that. And that's why she got all fuddled up in the 15% and the 20%. Vaccines are worthless because they're not vaccines. I can say that with a, with a, with a clear conscience, even though I am not a doctor, I am not an epidemiologist, I am not a scientist. I'm going by their own proclamations on these things. Useless. But it was everywhere today. Nobody wants us to just get on with the rest of our lives. And as I said, these scientists were rolled out to say, please don't open up fully on June 21st, which is obviously three weeks away. Here's Professor Ravi Gupta. I think it's a bit early. I think that we need uh, we need the, in a, at least a few weeks, probably a month, uh, until schools have closed when the, the risk of transmission within schools uh, falls uh, during summer holidays. We have a new virus with new characteristics in a situation that's never really been replicated anywhere in the world. And, uh, uh, and the adversary is a virus that has uh, exceeded all expectations in its ability to mutate, to uh, generate new mutations, to, to, to make itself fitter and faster, and to avoid some of our immunity. So, so this is not something uh, that we should be um, underestimating. Wow. It's the same Egypt, isn't it, all the time? I heard Nicky Campbell on Radio 5 Live say, not very recently, but recently enough, he says that we've all got our favourite epidemiologists now, don't we? He said, Campbell, without a trace of irony, he meant it. Because it's the same Egypts all the time. Susan Hopkins with the long ginger hair and the glasses. Uh, Susan Hopkins, Adam Finn from the JCVI. Ravi Gupta, you just heard him there. Jeremy Farrar, Susan Mickey, the mad communist woman. It's the same all the time. They've made household names out of these dipsticks. I think Panini should bring out a sticker album. You know the way children collect stickers for the sticker albums when it's World Cup year or European Champion, European Championships year? Panini should bring out a sticker album with, 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 um, for, for the sage professors. Kids could buy a packet of stickers every morning with their crisps and Mars bars. Frantically tear open the, 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 the stickers. I used to do it with Mexico World Cup 86, desperate for the Diego Maradona sticker or the Brian Robson sticker. You know, do it for the sage scientists. Who did you get? Ah, Chris Whitty, I have him already. I need Jonathan Van Tam to complete my collection. 
Crazy stuff. These people, there's about 10 of them, 12 of them. They just go on telly all the time, do mongers. And they never get challenged. Our Scottish brethren and sistren are reeling today from the bad news dropped up there by wee Jimmy Cranky herself. Areas of Scotland that thought they would drop down to level one today are staying at level two. Here she is, wee Jimmy Cranky. This variant is spreading faster than previous variants of the virus and we now believe that it accounts for well over half of our new daily cases. Because of that, Scotland's R number is almost certainly above one right now. And as we know from past painful experience, that makes our situation highly precarious. Indeed, many public health experts are warning that the UK could, and I stress could, now be at the start of a third wave of the virus. And obviously, it would be wrong to completely ignore that warning. Third wave. She's lucky that the public are not allowed in there, isn't she, Sturgeon, eh? Uh, Douglas Ross, the leader of the Scottish Tories, he said, look, it's unfair to have a one-size-fits-all approach and not engage in targeted measures. Let's get the vaccines out to everybody and all of that. Cranky was having none of it, though. Here she is. I do not want to keep a single part of this country in tougher restrictions or any restrictions for longer than necessary. But I do have a duty to continue to navigate us through this safely, where uh, necessary, cautiously, so that we can keep our progress on uh, overall. And the very last point in response to Douglas Ross, level two is still tough. I don't pretend otherwise. It is not lockdown, though, and we don't do anybody any favours by suggesting it is. Uh, We can go into each other's homes. We can see hospitality uh, open, stay open indoors. So there are significant steps forward there that are important for Mm. businesses and for the mental and physical health of the population. It is lockdown. You mutated haggis. It is lockdown. Of course it is. 17 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Um, everybody's fed up of Sage. Here's a Talk Radio's Mark Dolan on his programme this afternoon. Proper fed up with Sage. Apparently, we're at war with the government advisors. A terrifying third wave is coming, folks. Not of coronavirus. A third wave of unemployment, of once viable businesses closing down of home repossessions, of rental evictions, of mental ill health, of spiralling national debt and of other untreated illnesses. All at the hands of the sage psychopaths who are advising the government. At least their behaviour certainly feels like it's psychopathic. If they get their wicked way, they will delay the lifting of all Covid restrictions on the 21st of June. And why? How can we inflict such damage on people in this way when the link between cases and hospitalizations has been severed thanks to the vaccine, which clearly works? There are more variants on the way and this will never change because virus gonna virus. The lockdown fanatics have had their way for 14 months and wrecked the country with scarcely anything to show for it compared to countries that didn't lock down and save their schools, save their mental health and save their economy. The scientists and their cheerleaders in the media pushing for an ending to restrictions are not impacted by unemployment or the wider economic impact of these measures. Of course, they want the restrictions to continue. Now, we've got to stop destroying our country in a vain battle to control a virus whose threat to human life never justified these measures in the first place. Not when the measures will likely kill many more people and, of course, damage lives. We are now 
at war with SAGE and the scientific voices who will stop at nothing to destroy this country in a misguided attempt to deliver zero COVID. What we want now is zero sage. Zero sage, Mark Dolan. You see, talk radio is mainstream light, really, isn't it? You know, it's great to be calling out sage and the psychotic approach of the sage witch doctors. That's all very well. But to champion the vaccine programme, well, it's mainstream light, you know. It has its uses, I suppose, talk radio. It has its uses, but there you are. Mark Dolan there. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show, by the way, live from Scorchio, Salford, here in the northwest of the UK. My name is Richie Allen. Great to have you with us uh, today. Thanks for joining me. Two brilliant guests, Sue Cook, a bit later. Tanya Edwards before that. You don't want to miss Tanya. She'll be on the other side of this tune, more or less. Welcome to Gypsy Kings and Byla May. It's uh, 23 minutes past five. Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show from a blistering, a blistering, a boiling... Salford, I won't say it again, I won't say it again I sound like I'm complaining, I'm not complaining You've got to love it Before we say hello to my first guest This afternoon Let me play a clip of her in action She's a hilariously funny comedian Very accomplished comedian Comedienne we should say really, shouldn't we That's probably the right thing to say, comedienne uh, She's done it all, like I said, appeared on uh, Mock the Week, she's been on The Blame Game Radio Force Comedy Club She supported Catherine Ryan On her sellout tour um, she's had huge success at the Edinburgh Fringe and I came across her on Twitter because she's been asking questions about lockdowns and coronavirus and, and uh, yeah, she's even blogging about that and I will talk about that when she comes on but before we say hello to her and welcome her to the programme let's hear this very brief uh, two minutes clip of her and you'll see why I said uh, she's very funny, she really is funny It's a wonderful city, London wonderful city, we're very lucky to be here, aren't we? Wonderful <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky. I know we've got a lot of problems. Where doesn't? We have a big problem at the moment with knife crime. Don't I know it? I have lost some of my closest friends to knife crime. Every time a kid gets stabbed, another one of my friends moves to Brighton. <laughs> feels like yesterday I was planning my wedding. I even remember moving in with my now husband, you know. When you move in with someone, you have the chat, don't you? I remember having the chat. I remember saying to him, listen, you have stuff, I have taste. <laughs> Together, we can get rid of your stuff. <laughs> and then minutes later, you're planning the wedding. I was self-conscious about planning our wedding because, well, it's going to be so big. Obviously. And also because he hadn't proposed to me yet. He was still waiting for the right woman. But what I did is night after night after night, I'd whisper sweet nothings in his ear. She's not out there. You're never going to find her. together so happy mustn't forget that bit it is pivotal to the jokes <laughs> i think the secret to our success is a tall slim indian man fit and i don't understand 90 percent of what he says to me because he's from belfast <laughs> 
any Northern Irish in? Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be very careful around the Northern Irish. They're not like the diddly diddly dee ones from the South. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Let's welcome to the programme uh, the hugely successful stand-up comedian and writer, Tanya Edwards. Tanya, welcome to the show. Hi, can you hear me? Ah, loud and clear. It's almost like you're in the same room. How are you? It's good, thank you. Good. And I can see as well, you've just been, um, I know you've just been on a trip to the beach. I, I, I note that because I've been reading your blog and you blogged back in April about being on the beach and the madness of being on the beach back then uh, in April. How did you find it over the weekend? Well, it was busy and uh, everyone's sort of more normal this time, which, which was good. Now, now you're breaking up just a little bit, so what, what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to disconnect and, and reconnect again. This happens every now and then, it's no big deal, and uh, hopefully it'll be a bit better this time. Failing that, we'll, we'll do it the old-fashioned way, so we will. You're back in the room, hopefully, Tanya. There you are. Yes, thank ah, you. Brilliant. Yeah, it's, sometimes, it's funny, isn't it? You just cleared the line and, and then it's fine. So anyway, you were telling us, so it was packed, and what were, you observe, what kind of, what were your observations of people's behaviour? Well, it's it's interesting going to the coast because my dad lives in a small village. Everyone's very nice. Um, this time, like if you if you caught the ferry or if you were near the in the harbour, you didn't see anybody wearing masks really. Like a few people, but they looked like the deranged ones, which is a big <laughs> improvement. Um, but I think that people are still following the rules, going into shops and stuff, even though it's palpably absurd. And I've noticed as well that bumping into people, they'll they'll tell you, they'll update you on their vaccine status, which <laughs> I, I also find extraordinary. Um, in fact, one couple, very kind, lovely, charming, intelligent people, uh, told me that they were having their Pfizer the next day. So it's even like brand specific. <laughs> and in the same breath were telling me how sick their daughter had been. But they were still going in for their own their own um, second dose. So and there seems to be like a sort of very polite um, Middle England cognitive dissonance. But it's it's very strange if you're not in the cult to to listen to it and to witness it, I think. Our daughter has had a reaction to horrors, but we're going to have ours anyway. And we're going to yeah. have the Pfizer one. Yeah, that's that's strange, isn't it? And I don't know what... Heard- yeah. An even worse one, a very, very serious uh, loss of sight for, of a young person. And the um, one of the family members, instead of saying how outrageous it is that a young person is even part of this drugs trial, they're recommending a different brand. So it's that kind of really deeply disturbed thinking. I, I, it's the best, kindest way I can describe it. Can, can I ask you this? I'd love your opinion on this. Is it cognitive dissonance or is it like... I can say his name because he said it last week. I did a podcast with Hayden Hewitt, who's very well known for LiveLeak.com, and I was on his podcast. And I've always been a bit sceptical myself about the need for vaccines, full stop. I've never been, um, you know, anti-vaccine, but I've noticed over the years how many they tend to give children, as opposed to what we got when, well, I say we, I'm, I'm a good bit older than you, what I got when I was younger. So I'm a bit, you know, I'm a bit, I, I, I don't like it. But anyway, Hayden said to me, and he's a very bright guy, and he said to me, look, um, I'll definitely not have the AstraZeneca. I, 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 there's no way I would touch that. But I, I might have the, the Pfizer one. I, I might think strongly about having that. And I don't think it's because he's stupid or willfully obtuse. He's certainly not stupid. But I think he might be weighing up 
you know, the restrictions. He might be weighing it up and saying it might be worth a chance, Tanya. You know, it might be worth taking the risk if it means I can get back to doing the things I used to do. Of course, and be under no illusion that they've spent billions of pounds um, to, to create that idea in people's minds that the only way you can get your freedom back will be to take the drugs. Um, interestingly, a lawyer friend of mine months and months ago said hopefully it wouldn't be too dangerous and then she could get back to things. Wow. Uh, so she, she was under no illusion that she needed it. She d- had no no feeling that she she didn't want it. She knew it was on its trial period. She knew it was completely unnecessary. But she would have still taken it on the hopefully it wouldn't kill her just so that she can carry on about her business. And even if you show people the stats on these drugs, which are really shocking for such a short period. In fact, I think that the, the, the speed of the negative reactions is probably one of the only things in our favor if we're trying to exp- like help people avoid them. Um, but it's, it seems to me that even if people are looking at the adverse events, they are still thinking about going to you know, Marbella. It's, it's really yeah. odd. Yeah, I, I don't, mean, don't yeah. Get, I obviously want to travel. I want to be normal, but this, we're not going to get back anything by complying with any of this. It, it was it was supposed to be a building project for hospitals. Every single one of those hospitals has you know been taken down. They actually reduced hospital beds last year. They they reduced staff. The, the mortality was still. I think it's age-adjusted mortality is the same as it was in 2008. So people are, are being lied to, but I don't. They don't care. They just think whatever they're up to, give them a bit more and then it will be okay. But it's not going to be okay by giving a bit more. It's, it's just not. No, it isn't. That's a hugely important point to make. It, it really is. The Telegraph ran a, a piece yesterday saying that it had spoken to somebody very senior in the government and that the vaccine passport thing, domestically anyway, wasn't going to fly, that they weren't going to push it. Now, I don't know whether to believe that or not, but a part of me was wondering, Tanya, has the threat of the vaccine passport, has it all been about just driving more and more people to the vaccination centres? And were they not that serious, at least at this point anyway, about the vaccine passport? Because I tell you what, if that was their plan, you know, to throw out a red herring-like vaccine passport, to rush people into getting vaxxed, it seems to have worked. I was in Liverpool Street again this morning in Salford. Oh, Tanya, the queues around the block. You know, for the bakery or for the actual vaccine? <laughs> for the vaccine. For the... around here, there's queues for the bakery, which is really odd. Like everyone um, <laughs> politely distancing to get into gales. But, <laughs> no way. <laughs> so queuing for the queuing for the vaccine, I have not seen that. We had um, a very short queue outside the come here to be tested for COVID, but only if you don't have any symptoms at all. Right. Center, which was. I mean, it's not even like they're not putting it in posters for you. I do think it's to do with television. I think people are watching too much TV. Regarding the Telegraph article, I think that the whole um, spurious debate about domestic vaccine passports is just to adjust people to the idea of international vaccine passports. Right. This is a global plan. Uh, that seems to be what everyone is confounded by. They can't imagine that anyone can organise anything, but that's because they, we are locked into a cultural idea of governmental incompetence uh, I, everybody is obsessed with the idea that this government is incompetent. Even though they paid for the advertising campaign for lockdown a month before lockdown, so the whole idea that was also uh, there was a lead piece on that in the Telegraph. So this is not a secret; it's an open, published fact. They signed off the advertising campaign for this before it happened. So that whole dithering, um, shall we, shan't we, 
was it too late? Was it too hard? Was it too open? Yada, yada, yada. How foolish we all are in government. That was part of the sales pitch to the British public. It definitely worked on me. I thought it was going to be for three weeks. Yeah. I even believe that Boris Johnson was sick. You know, and I'm not thick. Well, why do you, you know, not? Why do you not believe? Life. Why do you not believe he was he was sick that time? You were told he went into hospital. Why do you disbelieve that? Well, at the time, I was like, "Oh, come on, Bojo! I don't want anyone to be ill." And I, it's curious because I was very, very um, instinctively anti-lockdown, and I wrote these Corona diaries at the beginning. Uh, you have to understand, I'm a stand-up, and my whole year was booked in for gigs, and everything was cancelled. Um, and it started off just being cancelled for three weeks, you know, but every day it would be cancelled for two months, three months, four months until my whole year was sort of cancelled. And I was just desperate to go back to work. And for people that are independent, um, you, also, I, I love my job, so I don't want to be sitting on the sofa at home, firstly, but also you need to make money and you want to live your life. So I was very anti having to stay in, but I went along with things. And I think I was writing about it in these Corona diaries. And that day I even said, they've just brought, they just wheeled out the Queen to reassure us. And then they wheeled Boris Johnson in to make us all nervous again. And at the time it was like a joke, you know, well, I was wishing everybody well, but I was like, how, how strangely timed it all is. So in other words, I, I believed it all, but I was having the, if I read back the emotional impact everything had on me, it was like a, it was like clockwork. You know, just as I was getting annoyed, then something made me, um, like sort of shut my mouth again. Right. And I don't believe that that can have all been coincidence because every single coincidence has led in one direction. Like at the moment, just when people are imagining that we're going to be open again and that this was all, you know, uh, just one year, every single um, every single argument in politics, every single argument in the newspaper, every complaint, even the ridiculous Dominic Cummings, Dominic Cummings thing that people actually believe, they actually yeah. believe that. It's all priming us for another lockdown. You know, the Indian government has come out and said there is no Indian variant. This is a nonsense. You can yeah. look at the world and data. You can see for yourself what's happening in that very big, huge country. That you, this, All of the data is available to you. But people would rather just um, be thinking, you know, it's also completely factually provable that lockdowns don't make any difference to mortality. Well, apart from deaths at home and suicides, but I, the, everything is priming us to be locked down again. And that's why people must stop complying with any of it. Don't wait till June the 21st. No, no, Take off your mask now. Do now. It now. Don't do any of these tests. Absolutely. Ugh. Do it now. If you want to uh, read the Corona Diaries, by the way, I was going to mention them, go to tanyaedwardscomedy.com and just scroll down on the homepage. They are brilliantly written, Tanya. They really are. They, they, they're they're really... They're not all there. They're mostly on my Instagram. They were, I stopped them like a couple of months after what's on my webpage, but I stopped them because I felt that I was um, sort of collaborating in the lie by not saying, you know, simply every single day, I'm not following any of these rules. Don't follow any of these rules for your own mental health. And the weirdest thing has happened in my industry, which you can, I'm sure everybody has noticed, is that people are selling this drug. They are selling it. They are profiting from selling this drug. They're not telling people that it's a drugs trial. Every time you see one of these influencers waving their waving their um, their you know their stupid certificates and endorsing this, they are profiting from that. How do we Either know that now? Hang on, hang on. Let, let me let me challenge that. How do we know that? Because I, over the years, you know, celebrities will get asked 
over the years they, they have been asked to do something that's in the public good and quite often they'll do that for free. Why do you think they're getting paid for it? Well, firstly, because I know the pressure that you're under to not challenge this narrative. Right. So the Corona Diaries that I wrote and on my Instagram, they were picked up, you know, I stopped writing them. They were, they were very, you know, middle class, sort of funny, haha, we're all having to deal with this lockdown rubbish. Um, but then in September, I wrote a couple that were basically just trying to highlight some of the lies. And I, I was made clear to me that that wasn't the angle to follow. And more than that, obviously, for the big advertising campaigns that they're being paid for. Um, but there's lots of suggestion that people are being paid to use their Instagram. I can't prove it, but I, I absolutely believe that to be true. Yeah. And another thing I can tell you for a fact, like, um, so a friend of mine from school, an Irish friend, actually, she had liked something on Instagram that a colleague of mine had written. And I wrote to her privately and I said, listen, I just want to check that you understand that this is a lie. Because this person has not been quarantining or socially distancing or wearing a mask. I was just out drinking with them till two o'clock this morning. You know, we just played clubs together. This is not true. And the, I just said, I want you to understand that when they are performing on TV to the masked proles, you know, you are the masked prole. They are not living like this. And she said to me, oh, you know, why would anyone do that? And the uh, reason is that this is a performance. So... We used to understand that actors were acting. And now we seem to think that because they're, you know, talking about their skid marks on Instagram, that they're yeah. telling us the truth about their lives. Are you still there? No, I'm, I'm, I'm gripped. Oh. I'm listening. Yeah, of I, course. I, I, am, I am banging on. No, no, carry on. That's the whole point of this program. I, I, just, I just think that people do not understand that Instagram is a fantasy. Yeah. That is something being sold to you. And even if it's, even if I can't prove, you know, who's getting cash for what, uh, you can use your nows and, and see, you know, the big names certainly are getting paid for the adverts, but it trickles on down to the bottom because this is the, the, the voice that everyone is having to speak with at the moment. But you do not have to speak with it. If you work in the NHS right now, you should be speaking out. I just had a lunch with someone the other day and they told me that their friend who's at a major London hospital they said that there are no transplants happening in that hospital at the moment because of AstraZeneca blood clots. And they've had two interviews pulled from the BBC where they have tried to whistleblow on this, but they're not making too much of a fuss. Now, that's just like hearsay over a lunch. I'm not even bringing it up because I know yeah. I'm boring sometimes. No, you're not boring at all. This is hugely important. Look, I get it all the time. I, 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 I came from commercial radio. I did some national radio. I taught radio production. You know, I know people right across Channel 4, the BBC, RTE, and some of them are terrified. And they won't come on with, with me, sadly. They won't. And, and I'm not going to condemn them for it. I think they will. And they're being told. Yeah, Sorry. They're, no, they're being told. They're being told, do not entertain nurses that have walked away because they, you know, want to, to blow the whistle on what's really going on. Don't entertain them. Ignore them. This is a public health emergency, they're being told. Stick to the script. I know this is going on. It's, it's dreadful. It really is. I mean, who thought we'd be here, you know, right I now? I, I don't think it... This is the strangest thing. People must look at the age-adjusted mortality because I don't know. I haven't... I wanted to check this before I spoke to you tonight. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know what you're following, but have you seen the... Um, the I'm always checking out the contracts, you know, that the government's putting out when they yeah. extend these contracts for COVID marshals or when they extend emergency powers or yada, yada, yada. And there's an interesting one that someone posted that I haven't had time to verify, but it's basically 
let me find it. I took a picture of it. Um, but it was fascinating because it's it's a tender. So I don't know if you've seen lots of people have been doing Freedom of Information Acts asking to see, you know, like funeral homes and check that their their business has been. That's normal. right. That's right. And there has been. But if you look at what the government is putting out, they're looking for big contracts for coroner's body removal and um, for, for starting from this September in Scotland and in the UK, you know, in, in England. And I there's one for the Scottish Police Authority that someone's just checked for, you know, for disaster victim identification in the event of a mass fatality. You know, this kind of tender is being put out. And I would love to know if any of your audience are au fait with that. What, what's going on? Well, this is because- chilling, right? This is chilling. It, it looks like the government is trying to appoint somebody or, or, or some company to deal with an expected avalanche of death of deaths in, in the autumn. Yeah. And why are, you know, see, if a government spokesperson was here now, Tanya, he or she might say, well, well, we got caught short last year. We don't want to get caught short again this year. We just want to keep our, we, we, we want to keep, um, you know, ready for any eventuality. But I don't believe it. And that's, that's, the, that's the first thing I think people really need to try and get yeah. a grip on. No government tries to make itself look bad. Why is this government... Not saying age-adjusted mortality was on a par with 2008. In fact, it was it's actually completely normal. We had obviously they don't want to take um, responsibility for the 40,000 excess deaths at home that people didn't seek treatment because they'd been frightened to death by the government propaganda machine. Yeah. But why is the government, you know, why have they not mentioned that flu disappeared and we normally have, you know, x thousand flu deaths? Why have they not mentioned that mortality was normal? Why are they every single day trying to make it look bad? And why now are they talking about, um, you know, variants and this, that and the other, when it's obviously not relevant? They could be talking about Texas, Florida, Sweden. We could just, the beaches, you know, in the UK, the marches in London. So they don't want to push this. Can I ask you a question? Let me ask you a question. It's the the burning question I've wanted to ask all day long. I mean, um, I I don't do the patronising thing. I really don't. I don't do the lovey thing. You're hilariously funny. I've been watching the videos for the last week on on YouTube. I mean, you really are. I mean, I I, I paid to come and see you. You're fantastic. You know, you, you are. 18 months ago, you you know, a a terrifically talented writer and stand-up comedian. You're a million miles away from appearing on a radio show like this. So the the obvious question is, what do you think is going on? What is really going on? Why why is this happening? I mean, it's a stupid, loaded question and there's a million answers. I think it's depopulation programme. You believe it's depopulation? Yes. Um, And I think that there... But I, I... Yes, sorry, but yes. You don't you so, don't say that easily, do you? That, that doesn't come no, easy to you. But there's there's zero reason why for an illness with a median age of death of 83 that you would want to give an experimental yeah. gene therapy drug to a 12-year-old. I keep saying or this to my friends. On a baby. Yeah, I keep saying it to my friends back home, my former colleagues in the radio. I scream at them down the phone sometimes. I say, listen, stop. Let's put, put you know, put your weapons down for a minute. You know, take back that cognitive, take back that ability that you, that you once had to, to analyse what's going on and just be honest with yourself. Why are they so desperate for every man, woman and child in the country to take this thing which they admit doesn't prevent you getting sick, which, which doesn't do very much of anything really. Why, 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 why? And my mates keep coming back to me. Ah, uh, you know, Richie and your conspiracy. We know the road you went down, Richie. Uh, that's all I get, you know. I, I can't speak to people. I really I can't. Th- I think it's... Um 
I've not had any luck. You know, my father's had his um, both his doses and um, he actually was in hospital two days later with this terrible neck pain. He couldn't even drive himself there, but he didn't see any correlation in that. He, you know, the day after it, he couldn't move his head, but he didn't see any correlation. But I think this is a really interesting example. My father has is not been well. So if he was trying to get onto a flu trial, for example, if he was trying to be a guinea pig on an experiment for cash somewhere, he would be laughed out. Yeah. He would not be allowed anywhere near it. So why would anybody recommend someone in his health to go on this drugs trial? It is palpably absurd. But point. I think even ignoring the... Um, I, I don't... Listen... Boris Johnson has published saying that the only job of a political person, a political statesman, is to deal with the population crisis, see how many people there are. Now that was years said, ago. That was years ago in the Telegraph, right? This has obviously come back to haunt him recently in light of what's been happening. But that was years ago. You know, again, his supporters might say that was just a throwaway comment, really. He didn't no, mean that, you know. It, I don't think, to describe, you know, the horrifying vision of um, populations multiplying like bacilli in a Petri dish. Yeah. Uh, this is the same man that wants to see every human on earth injected for a drug for for an illness that has not impacted on guess. Africa, for example. If you're not if you're in your 80s with multiple comorbidities, this is absurd to suggest that a child in India should be vaccinated so that someone who's morbidly obese in New York doesn't get sick from a from a viral infection. It is utterly ridiculous. Uh, it's, it doesn't even make sense. Like a friend of mine actually said that. They said, um, you know, it's been a problem in America because people are obese. I said, you're telling me I can't teach my kid to swim because yeah. someone in New York can't stop eating cookies. That is not a health strategy. This is a, a coup. But I think ignoring all of the theorizing. So for me, it was I just all that happened to me is that last year I read a financial paper called The Vaccine Swindle by a great guy called Barry Norris who writes um, a blog called Argonauts. And it said that you would never give this vaccine to anyone healthy because in 20 years of coronavirus research there's always been an antibody dependent enhancement and you would never give it to an elderly person because they're vulnerable and you wouldn't experiment on the elderly he turned out to be wrong on both fronts but i didn't know what an antibody dependent enhancement was and i'm just a naturally curious person so i looked it up you know and i when i looked it up i thought well basically if you're not familiar with it it means that you're going to be pathogenically primed so in other words you're going to overreact to any common cold so that when they experimented on cats, mice and ferrets over a 20 year period, all of the animals died, not when they had the vaccine, but when they were exposed to a wild virus, mm. i.e. a common cold, it killed them. So if you knew that, why would you why would you do this on mass? Firstly, and there's a brilliant uh, woman in America called Lee Merritt. She's actually a specialist in bioterrorism and she was a surgeon in the U.S. Army. And she did a great lecture last year called SARS and the Rise of the Medical Technocracy. And she's just done another brilliant interview recently. And you should check her out. She's called The Medical Rebel. She's got a little website where she's put up all of her interviews. But she's this that inter, that um, lecture I saw last year really frightened me. And I wrote to a bunch of people about it. And that's then the second thing that scared me. If people are aware of this, why wouldn't they mention it? Why wouldn't they even point out again that it's a drugs trial? Why wouldn't they be banging home every single day that you're 99.97% to survive COVID? You know, it's I I don't understand how people can imagine for a second that the queen would be taking an experimental gene therapy no, by some no. unnamed brand. 
it is obviously a farce. And the pathogenic now, priming as well. But, but let me just remind our listeners, if you've just joined the programme, Tanya Edwards is a brilliant stand-up comedian and writer. She's on the programme this afternoon. It's great that she came on, reached out to her last week. And we're talking about how she's experienced what's been happening the last 14 months, 15 months, and why she thinks it's happening. We're talking about depopulation. You know, it's, it is a travesty that the likes of Martin Kuldorf in Harvard, uh, Dolores Cahill from UCD in Dublin, and Sucharit Bhakti, those people have had to come here to be heard. Now, that's a, you know, we all have egos. It's nice when you present and produce radio. It's nice to get big, you know, epidemiologists and scientists on your programme. All of those people warned me and my listeners about pathogenic priming and what it might mean, spike proteins. They explained this perfectly. And they, not only can they not get a look in, but they're being destroyed systematically. You know, UCD has kicked out Dolores Cahill. I know that Sacharit Bakhti is kind of semi-retired anyway. Martin Kuldorf is getting destroyed in the press. Uh, there was another negative article about him in uh, The Independent today and in The New York Times. Uh, they, they can't be heard, these people. And you know, b- before you come back in, Tanya, I, as, as a journalist, as a reporter for 20 years now, I look at somebody and all I want to know is, what's in it for them? Why the hell would these people say that this, these injections could cause you ca- catastrophic damage when you're exposed to a novel virus or t- to anything in six months or 12 months' time? There's nothing in it for them. They obviously believe it. They palpably believe this stuff. And that's enough for me to say, no, thanks, I'm not having anything to, to, to do with it. But um, we're back to, this, to, to the same thing, the BBC, Sky Channel 4, actively working, not only not to platform these people, but to destroy them. What do you do about that? I, I, I rack my brains, you know? Well, I, I think that there's no doubt that you're right. Um, but I think that the bigger problem is that people at every level think if they just hold their tongue for another week, then it's going to be okay. It's really not going to be okay, because even ignoring the possibilities of pathogenic priming, which would be an insane thing to do, but let's just pretend that it doesn't exist. Even the adverse events that have already happened mean that all of these drug trials should be stopped immediately. The idea that they're being pushed onto children is a crime. The idea that people might sacrifice their children in this fashion or surrender them to the state just to avoid thinking is a crime and we are going there is going to be a day of reckoning so it really doesn't matter about my job or my relationships in that regard or even my friendships you know I I wish everyone well and I hope I maintain everything you know in the time that is to come but I know a lot of people working in the NHS and stuff and I really believe that they have to stand up and I wrote to someone last year and said when are you going to step up this is the kind of person that would be respected and they were still like moaning about raves and beaches and I said wait you're saying that nobody's wearing a mask and nobody's listening and they're all going to raves and they're all going on beaches and then nothing's happened and instead of being happy you feel irritated or slightly put out or that you're being disrespected that is an I mean I took my son to the A&E here at the uh, you know Warren Street the UCLH hospital and they shut the children's ward for COVID. There was no one in A&E, and this is in central London. And I said, this is so bizarre, there's no one here. They burst out laughing. They said, listen, the triage nurse can see your baby, you know, tell you you have to take him to Whittington, which is the only one open. They've shut the two really nice ones. So I pop in to see the triage nurse, and I said, what happened? And he said, we've been repurposed for COVID. And I said, do you have any patients? He said, no, no one. The Nobody. taxi driver knew, the people in the hospital knew, I knew. 
but I don't know how you can make people listen because it, it doesn't work. You're either, you either get it or you don't. Like I tried to show somebody the mortality because I thought that's so simple. It's published by the Office for National Statistics. I've got like a hundred years. You can just whiz down to 2008. I'm open-minded. If, I'm missed, uh, if, you know, if I've missed a digit, you can explain it to me. This person literally closed their eyes. No way. Wow. And I've said this on the program before. I mean, it's great having a a comedian on the program today. Not You're, very funny anymore. Huh. Look, how how irritating is it for you that your peers haven't ended this? Because comics should have ended this, shouldn't they? Really? It could have. I really think this is the thing, and I, I'm the reason I even mentioned my coronavirus idea is that I look at them as my own moment of collaboration. You know, I was researching all the time. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't quick enough, you know, and I I think um, even now I don't know how to articulate how awful this is because they're not interested in your granny. They are after my children. Yeah. And, and I think that all of the um, people just don't want to trust what they can see with their own eyes out their own window. Where are the bodies, eh? Where are the yeah. bodies? Where are they? Where, where are the carts going through the street asking people to bring out your dead? Where is it? I've been saying this since last year. Let me ask you this and feel free to tell me to mind my own business. We'll move straight on. Um, your husband, how does he feel about it? We don't discuss it. Fair enough. Like that. Yeah. A lot, and um, that's, that must be difficult. But, but we can just leave that one there. I, it, it, yeah, I've got mates, uh, you know, who are in the same situation. Um, where can I say one, one thing which I really think is a, just a really good example and I, I actually wrote it down so I didn't forget um, obviously our currency is being our economy is being destroyed by the way like my mother said the other day you know I said there's going to be another lockdown she said oh don't be silly I hope Rishi Sunak's got lots of money I'm like he does it's yours you know yeah. people yeah. don't seem to understand that this is if you want to destroy a country you're, you're going to corrupt its it's finances. So that is a, a problem. Um, I don't know. I don't know what anyone can do about that. But just a fact for all of the people that think that this is coming for them for free. It's not free. But um, a friend of mine always would send me death data, you know, if the numbers went up. And one day he sent me this WhatsApp saying 2000 people died in America today. And I said, you must be really pleased. But what's the source? I'll check it out. And I, I went onto the CDC website and it wasn't 2000. It was 1970 something for the week. So I said to him, it's not 2000, it's 1970, whatever it was, 72. And I knew that he would read that and think, oh, that's almost 2000. I said, but that's for the week, not for the day. So what's your source? Because he's implying 14,000 in a week. And it was less than 2000 in a week. And since then, the CDC has said that none of those were from COVID anyway. They were, you know, attributed to it. So, but let's just pretend it was 2000 instead of none. Um he was suggesting it was 14,000. So I said, what's your source? And he said, CNN. Well, CNN seems very reputable, doesn't it? So I went onto the CNN site for myself and I found the article that he'd referred to and I found them saying 2,000 deaths. And then I looked at their source. And instead of using the CDC data on actual deaths, they were using a research department at John Hopkins University. In other words, they were deliberately using fantasy figures and putting them out as news. Knowingly knowingly and deliberately mm. and I sent that back to him now for me when I saw that kind of thing 
the whole the whole thing collapsed for me. But yeah. like before, so I had a crisis last year because we were doing wicked things. Like we were we were isolating our elderly. I mean, I I don't have any elderly to isolate, but you could see all of these awful pictures of you know people losing their teeth and their minds, and we were really frightening kids. And that's like an attack on birth and death, you know. So I I knew that we were doing something immoral. This is not how you behave if something bad is happening. This is your this is how you behave if you're doing something bad. That's the difference. There there are ways that you behave when something terrible is happening and there are ways that you behave when you are doing something terrible and everything that we have done is when you are actively doing something wicked so it's just immoral forget all of the numbers it's immoral this might be stupid now but i'm going to ask you anyway do you wish you didn't know now um no i'm so grateful because last year a woman i had worked with she called the police on her neighbors for having some children over to play no way and since then, she's started asking questions. And I wrote to her one day and I said, listen, I hope you don't mind me mentioning, but I know that you called the police on your neighbours because she described it, you know, on Facebook um, and had encouragement for it. You know, I saw it after the fact. I said, I, I don't want to bring up this terrible thing that you did, but you called the police on your neighbours for having some kids over. And uh, what's changed your mind? And she said, well, people sharing information like you, like me, and um, also like questioning what she'd done. And I think that people are going to have their awakening, if you like, when they're doing something bad. Now, I would much rather someone realized that putting a mask on and looking like a prat and frightening people for no reason and and being part of these creepy rituals is already a bad thing that should wake them up. You know, otherwise, you're not going to realize what you're doing until you have some your boot on someone's neck. And I don't want someone to have their moment of realization with their boot on my neck. I really think the problem is that we are one society, we're one people, and we have to, um, we have, even if it's hard work, if it's just one person that you can, um, well, love, firstly, and be kind to, and help, instead of scare and preach at, and, you know, absurd nonsense rituals. But um, I, I really think if there's even one person that you, make a difference to it's um it's something isn't it yeah, and it it's is. going to happen it's going to happen now or it's going to happen later and later is looking pretty ugly to me so i i'm i'm all in for it to happen now it takes tremendous courage i think you know i mentioned earlier on i mean you're well known and you've done some cracking things you've been on great television programs you've got the best of the fringe and the evening standard and the telegraph and you're very funny you know and i could see somebody like you becoming um, you know, doing very, very well, you, you know. But, but I wanted to shill for Big Pharma, huh? I, I really yeah, fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, once that genie is out, there's there's no going back. It can be a lonely place, like. I mean, some things will be said about you. You know, some oh. very true, some very um, terrible and untrue things will be said, even maybe for coming on this particular programme. They tend to go after people who come on this programme. That's how I'm bad it's I- gone. You know, I'm not I'm not super familiar with your program, so if, um, let's hope you haven't done anything terrible. But oh I God, no, I haven't. No, no, I've, it's 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 a program that's interviewed everybody about everything, and over the years, um, I haven't made a habit of it. But I've had some people on, you know, who wouldn't be the biggest supporters of Israel, um, and I've had I've had one particular guy, but not for a long time, not for a long, long time, and he was a Holocaust denier. Of course, I challenged him and turned him inside out, as is my job. 
But um, but that's been used against guests. It's that guilt by association. Oh, I can't believe you went on his programme. Uh, why, why, why is Richie a bit of a bastard? No, no, but he's had some weird people on over the years. This is how it's gone, um, Tanya. It's insane what's happened in the last 12 to 15 months. Desmond Swain came on this programme and we had a great chat. And he left and he was told by the Conservative Party not to do this programme again. And he was like, why? And, and the answer they gave him was, again, not, not, nothing that I ever did or said, but because of certain people who've been on years ago. I mean, this is beyond McCarthyism. It's insane, really. I mean, if he's, this is what yeah, yeah. I, I really think this is, um, this is just a tactic. Yeah. Uh, so a, a friend of mine said that one of, she believed that what people were doing was immoral. But she didn't want to do anything about it. Interestingly, she was teaching at a university and they all of the staff had been given fetish masks to wear. And she said she wasn't sure that they realised that they were fetish masks, but they were these sort of black masks with the plastic part for over the mouth. Right. And um and you know, she found it objectionable. I mean, she obviously also was finding it funny, but um, I said to her, why aren't you saying anything if you think this is immoral? And she said, because every time I'm confident that I, I'm in the right, someone like a Trump supporter agrees with me. Right. Or she reads somewhere that someone who supports Trump agrees with her. I don't want to well, be on that team, basically. I don't want to be identified with that. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. I will say this. This is an evil thing that we are doing, and I do not want to be a part of it. And... Every single person that says no is on my side because they are saying no to evil. Yeah. Now, if if they think that the earth is flat or if they think that <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The, the moon is made of grass, if they can still tell that it's wrong to isolate a little old lady for a year, then they are on my side. Yeah. Now, as for you having conversations with people, I, I can't comment on things I haven't heard, but I have got... Uh, I want to to live and die with a clear conscience. Yeah, knowing that you did something, knowing that you stood up to it, and spoke out against it, and tried to change it. I think it's brilliant, Tanya. We're we're just about out of time. It's coming up for five minutes past six. Thank you so much for having me. Maybe if things cheer up, I'll um, be in a better mood next time. Listen, you're in a great mood. Uh, look, I hear you. I, I how you sound is how I think most days. You know, and um, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to? gently coax more people to take a look at the obvious information that, as you said, is right. You said it perfectly earlier on. It's right in front of their eyes. How do we do that? You know, it's it's been great. I want to uh, give a shout-out to your website again, tanyaedwardscomedy.com. And if you... I, I suggest you follow Tanya on Twitter. Please do. It's at Tanya Edwards. Simple. Simple as that. Can I say one, one thing? Of course you can. Um, there's a famous Brett Snev interview where he says that after three months of brainwashing, it doesn't matter what you show someone, they won't be able to see it. But as as hopefully, I, I think that Brezhnev is, is knows what he's talking about. But it's very important that people understand there wasn't excess mortality last year before there is excess mortality. In other words, if there is a massive fallout from this mass vaccination program, they they must understand that that's not a variant. They have to understand that before it happens, because we have behaved like this without anything truly terrifying happening. And if we start actually losing people that we love or losing people that we rely on, we could really behave badly. And so forgetting everything else, if people must remember their moral compass and they must make a little note of what is 
what they consider to be right and wrong. And they must remember that experimenting on children is always going to be wrong, regardless of whether or not they're frightened. And I think those really small little obvious things would be helpful to help us for the next couple of years. I'm not even going to try and follow that. Tanya, thanks. It was lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming on blind onto this programme. In case anybody's listening, Tanya Edwards never heard of the Richie Allen radio show until she was invited I'm so on. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's fine. Um, but you know, as I said, it's gone so dirty and nasty that somebody might come after you. Again, not because of anything I've ever done or said. I'm an old socialist. I'm an old I'm an old lefty, but um th- this is I mean, how this is how low it's you gotten, you know. I am. Um, I want to. I want to die with my. With my. Um, I want to think of my eternal soul. Thanks. Brilliant. This Tanya. is. We're at the beginning, not the end. So we need to stand up. Thanks for coming on again. We'll stay in touch. Of course, we're connected <laughs> on social media, and uh, it's at Tanya Edwards on Twitter. Enjoy the rest of your evening, Tanya. Thanks again. Uh, thanks for having me. Bye, Bye for now. Bye for now. That's a terrifically talented Tanya Edwards. She really is. Check her out on YouTube. Very very funny, and uh, yeah, brilliant stuff. And uh, sobering as well. It's seven minutes past six. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Live, as always, it's live. It's a live radio show. You might be listening to the podcast. It's on all the podcast providers. You'll find it. Whoever gives you your podcast, whoever that happens to be, you'll find it on there. It's on podomatic.com, which is where I upload it. You can check out episodes going back years if you'd like to do that. It's time for another tune, and then we're going to swiftly move on Because uh, Sue Cook, the legendary broadcaster, TV, radio, and of course, author, Sue agreed to come on. She uh, should be on the other side of this. This is a bit of cheese, this, isn't it? I think it is. Oh, yeah. It just suits the weather, though. That's the thing. It suits the weather. This isn't cheese. This is world class. George Michael, well it's Wham, I should say it's Wham, it's not George Michael, Wham and Careless Whisper on the Richie Allen radio show. It's 11 minutes past six. TanyaEdwards.com, yeah, Tanya was brilliant. We'll invite her back on again in uh, the future. Right, let's get rid of the music broadcasting royalty. I'm really looking forward to meeting Sue Cook. I I don't have to tell you anything about Sue. Obviously, a broadcasting legend, radio and television, and a hugely successful author as well. Crime Watch, uh, she's done it all really, Children in Need, done everything really. And I've been following Sue for for some time now because she's been, um, well, she's been engaging on lockdown and on lockdown, you know, on on the efficacy of lockdowns and the, the lack of efficacy of lockdowns and the harm that lockdowns do and vaccination rollouts and all the rest of it. So I invited her on and I'm glad to say that she agreed to come and have a chat with us today. So let's welcome to the programme the one and only Sue Cook. Sue, thanks for giving us your time. How are you? Oh, hi there, Richard. I'm very well, thank you. And I meant that, broadcasting royalty. We don't get you know people uh, like you slumming it with us, Sue, on programmes like this. So I'm, I'm genuinely thrilled. Thanks for, for coming on. And of course, when I mentioned you were going to come on, obviously question number one, and anybody who's on my Twitter feed thing now can see, Richie, ask Sue about the media. Ask Sue about the media. Oh, uh, God, could you even imagine if I asked you, I mean, this is a dumb question, but look, I'll ask it anyway. Could you put yourself in the position now of a mid-morning BBC presenter. I mean, you've done it all on radio. Could you put yourself in a position now and ask yourself, would I, 
Would I get stuck into the sage scientists? Would I challenge the narrative? Would I risk my position? Because that's a question you must have asked yourself, Sue. Absolutely. You've put your finger on it. And I've been knowing I was going to be talking to you later. I've been thinking about it again. And um, I can't imagine what it must be like to be there now, because the ethos was so very much in my day that you investigated and you you got to the truth and your truth was important and balance was important and finding out the breadth and the biggest picture you could. Um, I can only try to imagine what it must be like. I think they must have convinced themselves that they're saving lives by not um, that by by not in, is telling the truth, you know, by making yeah. us really frightened. The modelers, the dreaded modelers, have done studies showing that fear has a significant effect on reducing the, the pandemic pandemic severity, and it's um, directly related to social distance behaviour and compliance. And I think they feel a responsibility to make us all compliant, but in my view, they have a responsibility to broadcast the truth to their public. They're letting us down. We used to trust them. We used to think they were telling us the truth. And now we can't trust them. And to have that trust, um, you know, punctured like that, I think is it's very, very depressing and worrying and disappointing. For someone who had the career that you had there, yeah, it must be. I can only imagine. Could it be, though, you, you brought up the behavioural aspect of it, and we, we learned recently well, we knew anyway, that they had spent a lot of time engaging in thinking about how to coerce us into doing things that we really didn't need to do. Maybe many of these BBC presenters, and of course it isn't just the BBC, it's Sky and Channel 4. You know, if if our friends and relatives, and I'm sure you have friends and relatives, Sue, who are very intelligent people, but who have fallen for much of the nonsense, well, if our intelligent friends and neighbours can fall for it, maybe many of these journalists have fallen for it as well. I mean, it must be difficult for them to be coming up against the, you know, editorial meetings kind of every day. Maybe they believe it, maybe, many of them. I do know some journalists who are finding it very difficult there, um, trying to change things from the inside, but without, um, you know, rocking the boat too much so that they get the boot. Um, I do know a couple of those. Um, But also, yes, people like my mother, for example, older people who've grown up with the BBC in the days when there are only three channels or then five channels, none of the 97 million channels there are now. Um, They believe, my mum believes everything the BBC says because... We always did trust the BBC and I've had it, found it very difficult to try and convince her when I speak to her on the phone every night and she'll say, oh, there have been another you know, thousand more deaths and 10,000 more cases. And I'm saying, look, it's not quite as simple as that. There are other, you know, there are other things to put it into context with. But that's the trouble that um, the BBC has this legacy of trust. And I, I do feel that it's um, very disappointing that it's throwing that away. It's um, it's a similar picture in, in Ireland at RTE. Now, I never worked for RTE. My background is more commercial radio. But yeah, I've you know, like, like yourself, I'd have colleagues and people I would know. And um, back home, RTE would be seen very much like the BBC as if, if it tells you that it's quarter past three when your clocks are saying it's four o'clock. You know, you believe it because it's, it's RTE. Was there a moment, Sue, for you? By the way, Sue's website is suecook.com. Check check her out and check Sue out on Twitter. I know you're probably following her anyway. Was there some moment last year at the beginning of this that that alerted you to the fact something wasn't quite right? Well, actually, right from the beginning, right at the very start. And at first, you hear, you hear, hear 
the very first week, we thought, oh, God, this sounds awful. And you saw those awful pictures in Italy, people you know, on trolleys and being loaded onto coffins and things. Um, but I looked at the statistics. The very first thing I did was look at the death certificates and I, uh, um, figures. And I found that um, something like 1,600 people die on average per day in Britain. That's about 650,000 a year. And I thought, well, actually, that puts things in a lot of perspective. Um, I mean, right now we've only got to we've got to 127,000 deaths, I think, haven't we? But that's a, yeah. a small percentage of the of what happens anyway. I looked at road deaths. I thought, I wonder how many people die on the roads. And there's something like 167,000 a year deaths or severe casualties, life changing casualties. Now that's that's more than 127,000 as well. What you don't get from the mainstream media anymore is context. You don't get the bigger picture. They don't say 450 people die per day with cancer. 450 people die per day with cardiac-related um, disease. These things are really important, and they would make a difference to the way we viewed the whole thing. It would make a difference to the dreadful fear that's been installed in us all. But they really want us to be fearful because they want us to behave ourselves, which is insulting. My previous guest is um, was was um, Tanya Edwards. She's a um, successful stand-up comedian, well-known comedian. And Tanya said to me, she doesn't buy the incompetence line anymore. You know, over the years, I've interviewed everybody, Sue, as you have. You know, with some from, with, with opinions ranging from the sublime to the ridiculous. And people have come on and talked about over the years. You know, the Iraq War and the lies that were told there, and all of this. And and when I would speak to certain people about those things people who didn't agree or didn't believe what I was saying, they would always say, oh, you give too much credit to the government. You know, governments are incompetent, Richie. They're, 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 they're stupid. They're made up of a bunch of idiots that have not really had too much life experience. My previous guest said, I'm not buying that. They're not making these catastrophic mistakes or they're not doing these catastrophic things in terms of, as you, you know, as, as we could talk about, the, the, the problem with people dying of cancer not being treated and everything else, the mental health impact on children, all of this is dreadful. These are not mistakes, uh, Tanya would say. It's not incompetence. There's something else going on here. How do you feel about so that? What, yeah, well, what do you think it is? I mean, uh, you hear conspiracy theories. You hear theories about the World Economic Forum and yeah. Bill Gates and the Great Reset and all that. Um, and I think, again, I, I yearn to the, for the days when I was in the BBC and maybe we could have researched look it, look all that. Into it, yeah. teams out to look at all that. But yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a natural conspiracy theorist. I'm the natu- sort of person who naturally tries to look at all sides of a question and tries to understand where everything's coming from. Yeah. Um, so That's you have to take it into too. account. You can't not read these things. You can't not you know, no. deny these um, theories around. But um, I really, without doing some proper research and getting some investigative teams out there, I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, well, it's journalism, isn't it? What you described there. Look at every angle. Yeah. Don't dismiss anything. It's crazy until you've had a good um, look at it. But you get people who wrote for The Telegraph for years, people like James Dellingpole and people starting to look at this and where this might end up going. Um, I, I, I don't know, really. In terms of the vaccination um, uh, rollout, Sue, uh, again, I wouldn't be somebody that you could describe as an anti-vaxxer. I'm certainly not. But um, it strikes me as startling that so much pressure would be put on us. I mean, I've had four letters now from my local NHS surgery inviting me to come and, and have a vaccination. And like, like you mentioned earlier, you alluded to earlier on, even when you were speaking to your mum, context in figures. I look at the, 
the, the figures put out by the government itself on the numbers of deaths and the median age of somebody dying with coronavirus is 83 and it's usually somebody with so-called comorbidities and the great, great majority of people who get it don't get unwell and yet they seem to want to, it seems that they want to coerce people into taking a treatment, a vaccine that maybe is not entirely necessary. How do you feel about that? Well, as a country, we've all leapt at the vaccination as a kind of means out of this appalling yeah. lockdown. And you do wonder whether a lot of the, the lockdown has been geared towards the vaccination rather than treatments and vitamin D and ivermectin and all sorts of other things. As a journalist, I'd like to have looked into. Anyway, put that aside. Um, I think one, one thing that does worry me about vaccinations, and I am reading some disturbing things about some side effects and deaths, but um, most people are fine and are thrilled to bits that they've got it. But I really wouldn't like to see vaccination of children. I don't want to see anybody under 50 vaccinated, really, because it hasn't been out long enough to see if there are any long term effects. There are various effects you read about, like ADE, where you know, suddenly the um, immune system will overreact in a couple of years down the line when it has a similar encounters, a similar virus. I don't know whether that would happen or not, but I'd like time to would like cast. But you'd like to know. Yeah. And in your time at the BBC, which wasn't that long ago, of course, in your time, you would be sitting around with your producers and your editors and you would be saying, listen, some very famous epidemiologists have talked about pathogenic priming and the possibility. And it's lovely to talk to you, Sue, because you're you're talking about it might be argued. I'm one of the things that kills me about the independent media is how many people deal in absolutes when they just don't know. I could never mm. declare, I could never say to somebody, don't have the vaccine because it might encourage your immune system to uh, attack you in a couple of years. Time. I can't say that. But what I can say is, look, here are a list of credible, not, not just credible, but renowned in some cases, epidemiologists and virologists. And they're saying that they don't like the look of this mRNA vaccine at all. Let's look into it. And if you were at the BBC today, if you were still on Radio 4, if you were still on BBC television, you'd be saying to your producers and editors, let's get some people on to talk about this. Let's open up a debate about it, wouldn't you? I know Mm. you would. You're not seeing debates at all, are you? You're not seeing any open discussion and conversations. They're they're insulting their their, um, listeners and, and audience by not letting us see open debate and open conversations. They, they platform the people they choose and the people they don't choose, you'd like to hear from. You never see, um, for example, on the mainstream media, you wouldn't see Lord Sumption. You no. wouldn't see a politicians like Charles Walker or Desmond Swain or Richard Tice or um, any of these other really good MPs who've made great cases in Parliament or you know, such as Parliament is. Um, and the, the people... The blooming sage scientists they keep ruling out, particularly Neil Ferguson, who has a track record second to none for absolute messing things up. Um, I, I could throw something at the telly every time he appears on the telly. Yeah. Um, and yet they treat him with such seriousness. He's made a, a string of mistakes in the, in the past, uh, very expensive mistakes. I think at one stage he said that he said that swine flu Going back now 10, 12 years, he made another bizarre prediction, a bizarre modelling of swine flu that turned out to be totally wrong. And he, he goes back to foot and mouth disease, does, does um, uh, Ferguson. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and we know that there are Oxford University scientists who have taken a more measured view of this whole thing and suggested that lockdowns don't work. And yet, apart from talk radio and occasionally this programme, 
they can't get arrested, Sue, let alone get an interview on the BBC. Again, I know, I know, I know we're going back over old ground, but this must be astonishing to you. People like Sunetra Gupta, who's yeah. wonderful, I think, and Dr John Lee, Carl Hennigan, Martin Koldorf, Tim Spector, Carol Sikora, they've all got real valuable contributions to make and they're very rarely, if ever, on the mainstream media. So do you remember... And that's what people will be putting on. Yeah, that's right. And Because I remember a time when, when I was growing up, I didn't think about broadcasting until I was in college and I was thinking about doing something else. But I would have watched RTE and I would have remembered primetime programmes where you would have had debates, but the, the debates were given time, people were given time to speak uh, in front of audiences and everybody was invited. And the fact that we don't have a primetime BBC programme where the lockdown sceptic scientists, whose qualifications are the equal of those who are you know, very much pro-lockdown, the fact that we don't have those programmes, that's pretty scary to me, Sue. And I don't know why that's the case. I don't know why that's happening. I would love to see somebody, one of these guys in a waistcoat or tank top from Sage, um, to be debating with Sunetra Gupta yeah. or one of the people mentioned or John Lee. I would like to see a proper debate so that you can hear what they've got to say. And then we can make our own minds up. We're grown ups as public. We can make our own minds up if you give us the facts and if we can see people talking. But if you start depress suppressing one side and only publicising the other, we don't know where to go with that. We don't know what to trust. Does it have ramifications, this, for free speech for the future, regardless of what sort of paradigm we might be in in 15, 20 years' time? But the fact that so many people have been deplatformed and ridiculed, and again, just to mention, we're talking about scientific minds, you know, very credible people. Does this have serious implications for free speech in the near future? Well, I think it does in a way. I, I think particularly, I'm very de de depressed that the BBC has shot itself in both feet like this because um, we need a good, trustworthy public service broadcaster and we won't have one the way they're going. The, the defund the BBC movement is quite strong and I can understand why it would be. Um, but then we're just driven to finding our own echo chambers rather like we do in social yeah, media. We, yeah. we gravitate to things and people that say what we want them to say and what we agree with and they don't ever hear another argument on a different side of the coin because you're not actually seeking it out whereas the BBC's job used to be to present you with both sides of every coin and that's I miss that hugely. You've answered my next question actually because I was going to say or suggest that if the BBC was defunded and if it was basically forced to fend for itself and to compete with the other commercials. I was going to ask, might that make it better? But you've answered the question, it wouldn't, would it? It would just adopt a position the way the GB News will. Uh, I'm sure GB News will, 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 will platform maybe some of the scientists we mentioned. I hope it does anyway. But um, defunding the BBC and letting it fend for itself is not necessarily the way that it will improve. No, I mean, my ideal would be to go back to the BBC we used to be able to trust if we can regain that trust. But I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I think um, Davies BBC, I think he's going to try hard. I think he could be quite good news. But um, I, I do fear really very much for an independent, balanced, objective public service broadcaster. At the moment, we're verging on the North Korea radio, aren't we? North Korea TV. And you never thought you'd say that, did you? I mean, somebody, a legendary no. figure such as yourself, saying that the BBC is bordering on 
North Korea. It is, it is. I've heard Nicky Campbell on Radio 5 Live in the mornings bragging about getting the vaccine, you know, whooping it up, delighted, thrilled and going for my next one and all that. Look, I don't mind. I, I'm a free speech advocate. I don't mind people saying what they feel. But, you know, your job, Nicky, should be to try and find out if these vaccines are safe. The swine flu vaccine wasn't safe. These vaccines are brand new. You said it yourself, Sue. You know, they've not been around long enough. And there are different types of of treatments as well. They're not the standard, at least the uh, Pfizer ones. So your job, I would say to Nicky and to his pals on Radio 5 Live, is to try and find out, is there any truth to the concerns that other scientists have about these um, um, vaccines? But no, it's uh, it's North Korea. It's, it's astonishing stuff, really. Just to change tack, just for a few minutes, I won't keep you too much longer, Sue. I can imagine you're busy. And uh, I, I'm enjoying listening to you. But... Um, you mentioned earlier on the the the, uh, the ivermectin stuff. I mean, you'll always be a journalist, so you're looking into this sort of stuff, Sue. I mean, you're very active. I did mention that at the beginning, in terms of you are kind of quietly reading pretty much everything you can about this virus and about treatments for it. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, there've been quite a lot of. Um, they used to criticise ivermectin because they said it hadn't been trialled enough. Although it's been used, it's a Nobel Prize winning medication for um, parasitical problems. Yeah. Um, but um, I read, did read that some tri- successful trials have taken place and they're into phase two and three now in Tel Aviv um, with ivermectin. And I know a couple of people I won't mention, quite prominent people who have been taking ivermectin for the past year um, and uh, have been fine, COVID free. And are COVID free so, with it. Yeah. 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 And it, I, I really do think it would be very interesting to to find out more journalistically about what what this drug does, what it is. Because people, will, I know for a fact that people are looking online and getting stuff from America and Canada. So it's uncontrolled. What we want to know is what the dosage should be and what it can do, how many you should take, when, you know, and then do it properly. But um, because we're all forced into the, around the, you know, the dark web, as it were, around the back door, we, we, we're not being protected. Sue Cook is our guest. Just a couple of quick Fire kind of fi- final question, Sue. Thanks for coming on and talking about it. it. It's a big deal for people, you know, to know that you spent so many years there and to hear that all is not right with the media. It, it's good. It, it's better coming from you than it is for uh, from me because I never had your your career. So thanks for doing that because it takes a bit of courage. SueCook.com is Sue's website, by the way. Um, on a slightly lighter note, it's funny to read people's opinions of the BBC and you read a lot, particularly from conservative people. Now, I'm not a conservative, by the way, nothing like it. But you read from conservatives that their view of the BBC is that it tends to hate Britishness and it tends to, they see the BBC as hating, you know, British people and it hates the union flag and it's gone terribly woke and terribly concerned or too concerned about things that are totally inconsequential. And, you know, gender identity stuff and, and gender recognition and all that sort of stuff. What's your opinion, Sue, of that claim I, about it? I think the BBC just got terrified of being wrong-footed on any front whatsoever. So um, it just will do anything not to be criticised for anything. So it'll end up, you know, like the Reader's Digest. I used to edit the Reader's have a job <laughs> editing the Reader's Digest. And anything that's even mildly contentious or somebody disagreed with, it had to be deleted from the from the article and I think the BBC is the same it's deleting anything that might be controversial because it wants to score all the brownie points it possibly can and it's you know it's actually backfiring on it I think but you're hoping Davy will um maybe maybe make some changes there I think there are some good signs there he's 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 been saying some quite hopeful things 
Um, but I think he's a jolly big liner to turn round. But he's, um, I'll be helping to blow the wind for him if, if he's going to do it. Brilliant. And the absolute final question, the final one today, thanks for coming on. Experience is an amazing thing. And when I was a young producer, I spent a lot of time, as much as I could anyway, speaking to people who had come before me and had been very successful at producing radio, talk radio, which is where I got my start. And I did, I'm not virtue signalling, I did do that. I value experience greatly. Um, It would amuse me, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. I would be amused if you weren't contacted from time to time by people working in the BBC at various levels to ask your advice as a brilliantly successful, um, I mean, you did it all at the BBC. Do you get a phone call every now and then, Sue? Um, I can't. No, I don't. You I don't. don't get a phone call in that way. I've got some friends who I, I pal up with quite often. In fact, having lunch with a whole group of old news colleagues. They're all retired um, next Friday. So I'll, I'll be interested to know what their take on everything yeah. is. So I haven't seen them for ages. But um, no, nobody phones me up to ask my advice. I don't think they, they I don't think they like what they heard. No, maybe not. Maybe they know what they'll hear. Maybe that's the, maybe that's yeah, the reason. Maybe. Listen, thanks for coming on and giving us some of your uh, Tuesday evening. It's uh, you prefer to be out on the terrace maybe having a little glass of wine maybe or something softer so thanks for doing it That's Sue lovely to meet you yeah thanks a lot my pleasure thanks a lot Sue bye for now the brilliant Sue Cook there a legendary journalist and broadcaster BBC and author as well did it all didn't know about the Reader's Digest uh, editing so uh, good to have her on the programme Sue uh, a good egg and uh, is asking questions on social media and elsewhere about lockdowns and about the need to be vaccinating people and all of that. So good stuff. Right, I'm going to take a tune. When I come back, uh, me me and you are going to have a chat for a few minutes. What have I got lined up? Nothing is the answer. (laughs) Oh God, that's it, you see. There you go. What have I got? I've got Bobby Darren. There you go. Bobby Darren will have to do. Dragged out the first thing that I came across. Back with more in three minutes. Oh, the shark, baby. Has such Bobby Darren and Mag the Knife. Yeah. Mag the Knife. Look out, old Mag is back. Not bad as it happens, not bad. The first one I drug out, I drug out of the player of the system. Mag the Knife there. If you missed any of the program, I want to keep mentioning this because um, the. Hayden and, Hayden and myself, Hayden Hewitt, have realised that, and it kills me to admit this, that Facebook deleting the Richie Allen Show Facebook page, which I never cared about now, never, but the Baxters, I've got to say, it has had an impact on us. So even though, you know, they were shadow banning anyway, it was still of some little bit of use. I didn't know this. I wasn't aware that it was of any use at all. But I, So I've got to keep mentioning do visit richieallen.co.uk. I didn't have any time to put any articles on there today because it was up to me tonsils, so I was. But pretty much every day, things go up there and you can comment on them. And we are a censorship-free zone. So you can comment on the articles. You can tell me I'm the biggest Egypt that ever lived and you'd be right. And you can say whatever you want and everything will just stay there. Nobody will delete your comments or, and you can mess around on there. But you need to go looking for it these days, Right. So kind of keep it in mind, right? I'm not saying that you go around thinking about me during the day, but keep it in mind, richieallen.co.uk. And check it out, please. And post your own stuff there. Post your own stuff there as well, you know. Hi to Tim Phillips. Tim says, Richie, I enjoyed both chats today. That The diversity among your guests is what makes your show so interesting. Thank you, Tim. 
The show is not always great, but it's never dull. That's my ambition for my radio show. It has been my ambition since I began presenting radio. Uh, there are days when you're absolutely garbage, but make sure it's never dull. That's the important thing. And a number of you are tweeting this nonsense from Good Morning Britain today. Unfriend the unvaccinated. I mentioned it earlier on. I, I don't have any audio to play you, but this isn't unique to Good Morning Britain. The media here is really going after people like you and people like me and people like Tanya. People who have decided no chance. Uh, not, no chance. No thank you. No chance. Keep your vaccines to yourself. But that's not good enough, you see. That cannot be allowed. Do you understand? It can't be allowed, that. So they're doing as much as they can, and the media, of course, is completely complicit, to coerce people into having it. We mentioned in our conversation earlier, Tanya and me, that many people will have the vaccine not because of their cognitive dissonance. Many people will have it even though they know it's a risk. Yeah, it's risky, yeah. But there's a good chance it won't do me any harm. And I need to travel. I need to go overseas. I have an aunt, I have an uncle, I have a mum, I have a dad. My older brother lives in China or whatever, right? So, uh, yeah, so they're going out. So, so this thing today about should we unfriend the unvaccinated? This is sinister stuff, this. This is not just a filler on a magazine programme. And God knows I produced and presented magazine programmes. We love a filler. We love a little ditty that can get people arguing, get people up in arms. Yes, but this is not just a filler. They're planting these ideas in people's minds. Don't be hanging around with the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are unclean. They're dangerous. And they're immoral. They're also crazy conspiracy theorists. So they're people that are best avoided at all costs. And I also want to draw attention to something completely not on vaccines. But yes, on vaccines, as a matter of fact. Very interesting what Tanya said to me earlier on, Tanya Edwards, about government contracts being put out to tender, asking for firms to come forward that can manage large numbers of dead bodies in the spring. These are real things that are happening. How do you get people to pay attention to this stuff? It's funny, we're coming back to the first uh, hour of the programme again. How do you get somebody to pay attention to stuff that's actually going on? You're not even saying, this is my theory. Because I can understand when people dismiss your theories. Understand that. Fair enough, it's theory. But when the government is actively asking companies to quote them, (laughs) to quote them on... um, Cleaning up lots and lots of bodies. She also said something very interesting about don't let the um, var- don't let the vaccine injuries be blamed on variants, which a number of people who have been on this program are very concerned about as well. That's one of the next big steps in the autumn. Remember, these bastards have expanded the advertising budget and have pushed it for way beyond next winter. On the one hand, they're telling you. We hope to open up on June 21st and we want it to be irreversible. They're lying. They're they're going to be running advertising campaigns in the autumn. About what? About what? Well, the obvious answer is more lockdowns and more vaccines. Have some more vaccines. I think they've bought, correct me if I'm wrong, I I can't do it now because I'm live, obviously, but I think they've purchased around a half a billion vaccines, haven't they? 
Do I need to tell you there are 67 million people in the country? What the fucking hell do you want nearly half a billion vaccines for? And you can't get people to pay attention to this stuff. Like I said, I actually do have friends, you know, former colleagues. Have a look at this. No, no. Richie, I know you. You went down the rabbit hole. You left Planet Normal and you went down the conspiracy route, Rich. I know, I know, Richie. I love you and you're funny and all that, but no, no, I'm not. It's just nonsense. <laughs> but but it's, on the, it's on the government's own website. Why, why do they think a lot of people are going to die in, in the autumn? Why? And you know, if your friend did look at that, your friend would invariably say, well, they expect variants. They expect a fifth or a sixth wave in the in the autumn. Or they're just dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, Richie. <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you know, BBG Richie? Hey, Joe, what do you know, you know? Alan says he's in Liverpool. The fact what Sue describes is not happening speaks volumes. Sue Cook was describing how there's no debate on the BBC. The BBC is hook, line and sinker pushing the agenda. It is deplatforming learned people who disagree with the agenda. Why is it happening? Um, if the opposing side is so ridiculous, why censor it, says Alan? Why ban it? Or as with Saturday, plain ignore or lie and say that 350 people were marching. Did the BBC do that? Did the BBC suggest that 350 people... Because I happened to glance at some YouTube channels and also at RT and it looked to me now of course I can't say hundreds of thousands even though I believe hundreds of thousands did show up but there were great streets and I've been to plenty of football matches plenty of them and plenty of concerts and I've got a good head for guesstimating guesstimating crowd numbers it looked to me in certain places there were 10,000 15,000 in certain little places. So you multiply that by 10. You know, you're into a quarter of a million people. Of course they're not going to, to report on it. Again, that should be enough, even for somebody who's totally with the programme. If you're totally with the programme, you think the government is great, you think lockdowns are good, and you can't wait to have your vaccine, it should occur to you. Why are hundreds of thousands of people coming out to say this is wrong? But they don't, though. They don't, you know. You had Sue Cook telling us that her mum, who's a very bright woman, totally enthralled to what's going on and believes the BBC. And again, what Sue Cook said there is very valuable because I see this. Even amongst younger people who really don't know what the BBC is or even what it was or what it was meant to be, why it was set up, educate, entertain, inform. Even amongst the young who don't understand the concept of public service broadcasting, they still have it in them because it's been handed down to them from their dads, their mums, their uncles, their aunts and their grandparents that the BBC is trustworthy. If it's on the Beeb, it must be true. If it's on the Beeb, it must be true. Why would they be saying it if it wasn't true? And that's why. That's why you're struggling with, um, you know, your, 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 your mates, your friends, you know. Hi to Gillian Stephen. How are you doing, Gillian? Hi to Nikki Smith, who said, I recently found your show, Richie. Now I look forward to it every day. Uh, thanks very much, Nikki. Uh, welcome aboard. Thanks for listening. Monday to Thursday, five o'clock. I'm here all week, nearly all week. William says, speaking about the uh, Dr. Ravi Gupta, 
Professor Ravi Gupta, who's another doom monger and lockdown monger, he's one of those scientists that doesn't want to fully open up on June 21st. He wants to wait for another month because of the Indian variant, which is not the Indian variant anymore. It's the... What are they calling it now? Hang on, hang on. Hang on. I think we're allowed to do this. I think we're allowed a little bit of repetition in this segment. The variants are being renamed under a new WHO system. The Kent, or UK, variant is going to be called Alpha, the South African variant Beta, the Brazil variant Gamma, and the India variant will be called Delta. Delta. More than 100 MPs and peers, meanwhile, are urging Boris Johnson to promise that for every vaccine bought by the UK, we should also donate a dose to lower-income countries. To the poor black babies. This is another big story today as well, of course. Johnson coming under pressure to give, for every vaccine, he just said it there, for every vaccine administered here, that one should be sent somewhere in the world where people are more impoverished than we are here. I think they could do better off without it personally, but there you are. Let me read a few more of your tweets then. Time is pressing on. 12 minutes to 6 o'clock. Tuesday's Richie Allen programme. Hi to Joanne Boddington. How you doing, Joanne? I didn't hear Beverly Turner on this morning yesterday, but I did see a clip of it. And I can probably quickly find the clip because I'm a man of many talents, me, you know. I am a man of many talents. Uh, because my mate Peter Rowan, who was a photographer in Ireland, uh, in Dublin, and a well-known photographer, a good lad too is Peter, uh, he tweeted it out, so I'm going to find it on his timeline while I chat with you. It's Beverly Turner on this morning, which is presented yesterday by Dermot O'Leary and Alison Hammond, I think her name is, a uh, very bubbly lady who was on Big Brother years ago. Bubbly uh, lady she is. Um, Alison Hammond... Dermot O'Leary, and the other guest is Matthew Wright, formerly of The Sun, formerly of Channel 5, and Beverly Turner is dropping a few truth bombs about the vaccines. And, of course, they tried to stop her. This, this jab is not a vaccine by any traditional definition. It doesn't stop you catching SARS-CoV-2. It doesn't stop you transmitting it. There's a little bit of evidence to suggest that it might minimise transmission, but that's because it ameliorates your symptoms. And if it ameliorates your symptoms, then you are less likely to... Because you argue it's off. no different than getting vaccinated against hepatitis, for example. It's, also, it's very different because it's a trial drug. We oh. are still in clinical trials, Matthew. And Why are you so... You just have to look at but the numbers... Just in the, in the sense of, like, the finest minds of science have, in, in an extraordinarily short amount of time, have come up with this vaccine. It's proven that it's working statistically. Why are you so cynical about it? We have no long-term data. We have no long-term data. But we don't have a chance to have long-term data because we, we have this virus... We do, because... ...killing people, people around the whole world. No, so we, no. We don't, have the, we, don't, we, have, we don't have that luxury, surely. Why are you so sceptical about the whole thing? 99.8% because it, because of the facts. 99.8% survival rate from COVID-19. The average age of death is 82. This was a virus that was and remains. Not care about this. Exactly. Uh, th- this is brilliant. This is the ad hominem attack now. Dermot O'Leary, who's I don't know what he's at, useful for. O'Leary. O'Leary is basically a celebrity hag. Really, he presented talent shows for. ITV, he's a bit useless. You know, he's one of them. There's a number of them. Vernon Kay, useless presenters, useful idiots, really. They can read a, an auto cue and they're reasonably articulate, but other than that, they've not got anything going for them. So she's dropped a couple of truth bombs on them there. These are not real vaccines. Um, they make some very spurious claims about 
you know, protecting you against illness or serious illness when there's no evidence to support that. And then she goes on to say 83 average age and um, 99.7% survival rate. So the ad hominem attack comes in. Rather than deal with that, the next question is, of course, or do you not care about old people? Which is nonsense, but... There you are. 99.8% because of the facts. 99.8% survival rate from COVID-19. The average age of death is 82. This was a virus that was and remained. Not care and about remains. Exactly no, that. No, this is, this is the language talk about. It's the language of, of course we do. But we should always have looked after have those people. We should always have looked after those people. Yeah, we're not in that we situation now. We're not we, there now. Now we we're are, talking we just have, to steer it back. We're supposed to be talking about NHS workers. We have given them the jab, but that's the point. Why do you want to put a 22-year-old with her whole life ahead of her as part of a clinical trial when we do not know the long-term implications. It is a brand new Because technology. vaccines mutate. It is not uh, a vaccine. Sorry, because viruses mutate because, and, and every unvaccinated person becomes a potential Petri dish for vaccine there mutation. There are already 3,000... Every unvaccinated person becomes a Petri dish. This is the language, you know, and it's everywhere. You will not be allowed not to be vaccinated. You can't be because you become a weapon. You become a weapon unknowingly. Not your fault, but hey, it doesn't matter. I know it's not your fault, but you can't say no to the vaccine because you become a Petri dish for variants to form and you could kill everybody else or everybody else around you. This is Matthew Wright now, a complete dickhead. Uh, wrote for the sun for years. Or was it the star? Or was it the mirror? Jeez, it doesn't matter, does it? One of the tabloids and had a show on Channel 5 in the mid-morning for about 20 years, 25 years. This is dreadful, this, dressed up as journalism. They're attacking this woman who's just given a few basic truths about these vaccines. Could lead, of course, none of them are more, than more of them the could come. Wuhan more of them could you come. They that, could Matthew. overcome the vaccine, which would then what, lead what to more deaths. What is incredible, though, so what is incredible is that we do have freedom of choice yes, here and, in the UK. And I heard a wonderful compromise yesterday, yeah. and I think it was meant as a joke, but I think it might work to, to somebody's satisfaction, maybe to Beverly's, which is we've got all these Nightingale hospitals, which cost millions and millions of pounds to build that stand empty. Why not? Why, why are they standing empty, though? Matthew Wright couldn't be that stupid, is he? You know, I mean, how, how obtuse do you have to be? We've got all of these hospitals that we spent millions and millions of pounds on building that never saw a single patient. Yeah, let's, let's stay with that for a minute, but no. To somebody's satisfaction, maybe to Beverly's, which is we've got all these Nightingale hospitals, which cost millions and millions of pounds to build that stand empty. Why not take all the NHS workers that choose not to be vaccinated? In some health trusts, we're talking 25%. OK, that's actually NHS workers, 25% in one trust. And then take all the people who don't want the vaccine and stick but them all in hospitals together. Why would so, we do that? Because the choice, it doesn't stop you I, passing it on. Well, if you've had the vaccine, it, what it, you call the vaccine, it doesn't stop to, you transmitting it. So think, why would you I separate those you people? I think you are massively irresponsible. That with is true. And, and this is... And I, and I just, just so to let you know where Imagine the, the irony here. The guy who calls himself a journalist, whose job it is to ask questions, is calling a woman who's telling the truth irresponsible. She's telling the truth. Nothing that she said there could be challenged. It's all 100% factually accurate. And the guy whose job it is, as a newspaper man, to hold the government to account and its witch doctor scientists is calling her irresponsible for telling the truth. 
Why would I have the vaccine, you know? On air to half 12, so together. we need to wrap this up. It's been a wonderful bank holiday. This <laughs> oh, we, can't. Uh, we can disagree, but at least we can still be fit. We can't disagree on the science. It, is, it, is, it does not stop you contracting or passing it on the virus. It does. It listen, does not. Listen, we have to move on. How sick is Dermot O'Leary? Eh? I mean, you have to be sick to be caught out like that, you know? They admit themselves that their treatments don't prevent you from contracting it. And they admit themselves that their treatments do not prevent you from passing it on. I mean, everybody knows that much. He is as useless as tits on a boar, isn't he, Dermot O'Leary? Anyway, I just might be jealous, maybe. Maybe I fancied presenting, I don't know, the X Factor or whatever. It's uh, coming up for five minutes to seven o'clock. Haven't got a clue about tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, it's going to be another scorcher tomorrow. El Scorchio Tremendo. I'll be here anyway. I'll be here come hell or high water, chatting away with you from five o'clock tomorrow. Uh, then the temperatures cool off a bit later on in the week and we get to kind of normal June temperatures. I'm desperately keen to speak to my friend and your friend Piers Corbin because he is uncannily accurate when it comes to predicting summer weather trends. And Piers, before anybody, long before anybody, back in 2018, back in the spring, said that we were going to melt in 2018, because he'd been observing sun, sun, basically solar activity, basically, not to put too fine a point on it. So I want to know, because um, I just want to know, because I'll be suffering it with you here at five o'clock Monday to Thursday. Alrighty, uh, going to love you and leave you with a bit of Macy Gray. Thanks so much to Tanya Edwards. Lovely to meet Tanya. It's Tanya Edwards comedy.com all one word TanyaEdwardsComedy.com. She's on Twitter too, Tanya Edwards. And thanks to the legendary Sue Cook. A terrific broadcaster and uh, great lady Sue for coming on to chat about what's happened to Auntie, as they call it, Auntie. SueCook.com to find out more about Sue, but you know all about her already. Leaving you with Macy Gray then. Until tomorrow at five o'clock, it's bye from the BBG. Enjoy the rest of the gorgeous weather this Tuesday evening. See you soon. <laughs>